You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, and we're going to be asking the question, is it time to restructure your life's priorities? But before we look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, I'd like to invite you over to our website, which is DesireJesus.com. And on our website, you'll find links to our bookstore, our podcasts, our blog, and a variety of other things. We also have a link to our newsletter, which we send out every Tuesday afternoon. And if you're not on our email list, we'd encourage you to sign up. It's free. We use that as an opportunity to encourage you early in the week, and we hope it's something you find edifying and beneficial in your walk with Christ. And by the way, if you haven't checked out our blog in a while, we'd invite you to stop by the website and check that out. We have a variety of Bible studies and different articles there that we hope you'll make use of, and we hope it's all useful to you in your walk with Christ as you seek to grow in your relationship with Him. But as we mentioned just a moment ago, today we're in Romans chapter 13, and we're starting with verse 8, and we're asking the question, is it time to restructure your life's priorities? So let's take a look at that together. This morning we're going to be talking about something that's brought up here in the book of Romans chapter 13 as we look at the second half that I think is practical really no matter what season of life you find yourself in. Because there's always uh, seasons, and I'll I'll share personally in just a moment uh, about one of these seasons for me, but there's there's often these seasons that we, we come upon during the course of our life where we realize that we need to look at things a little differently. We need to restructure things and think about things a little differently from how we've been thinking about them. And when we look at this portion of Scripture today, you'll see that it speaks of this idea of restructuring our life's priorities to come in line with what the Lord has impressed upon our hearts to value. So if you would, take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 13, and we're going to pick up at verse 8. So we finished up with verse 7 last week. Today we pick up at Romans 13, verse 8, and I'm going to read right down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 14. So Romans 13, starting with verse 8. This is what it says. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us, excuse me, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together this morning. We thank you, Lord, for each adult and each child that's present here with us today. And we're grateful, Father, for the fact that we could look at your word and we can grow and we can understand more about your desires for our lives and the fact that there are certain things that you want us to prioritize. And so, Lord, we pray that by your grace that your priorities would become our priorities and that likewise by your grace that we would grow in our knowledge of you as we look at your word together. So we thank you for this time and we commit it to you now and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So let me, let me start us off this morning with a question before we dig into the specific verses that we're looking at today. And the question is this, have you ever come to a point in your life where it was kind of a breaking point and you realized that it was time to make some changes, but you weren't completely certain as to what changes you needed to make? Do you ever find yourself in that kind of a spot? I remember uh, a particular season in my life that was very much like that when my children were little. And I was involved at that point in a variety of things, a lot of things at once. Uh, I have a, a problem sometimes where I agree to do more things than I should agree to do. And uh, I had definitely done that, but also at the time I was working three jobs. So three jobs, a bunch of ministry responsibilities, and trying to juggle the responsibilities of being a husband and a father, and uh, at that point we had four kids, and so I, I remember getting to a breaking point and realizing, okay, um, this, something needs to change because the pace I'm trying to go at is not a pace that I could continue at, and I also noticed certain areas of my life that were starting to suffer. My health was starting to suffer, uh, my personal finances were starting to suffer, and I wasn't feeling uh, a peace in my heart about the fact that, uh, about like the idea of being a good steward of my available time. That's how I'll phrase it. I felt like I wasn't stewarding my time the right way. And so finally, I came to a breaking point one evening when I said to my wife, I said, Andrea, by the way, it's Andrea's birthday today, so I, she might be helping out downstairs. So uh, if you see her, make a big fuss about that, all right? Um, but um, I said to her, uh, we're going to drive to Florida and we're going to take some vacation. <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like, mm -hmm. sure we are. And uh, she didn't say that out loud, but that's what she was thinking in her head. And she admitted that to me a little bit later on uh, because it had been a very long time since I had taken time off. And I, if I'm honest with you, I think there was a part of uh, just in my own heart or in my own mind that was almost proud of the fact that I hadn't taken a lot of time off. Like I almost wore that like it was a badge of honor until I started paying the price and realizing, wait a second, this isn't really an honorable decision you're making. It has a consequence to it. And so um, she told me later on that she actually believed me when she heard me pay for the hotel over the phone. She said, all right, he's not going to pay for the hotel if we're not actually going. So at that point, she started letting herself think, okay, I think I, we're actually taking a vacation to Florida. So we took that vacation, and it was a wonderful experience. And I remember at the time, you know, as I gave myself a week to decompress and a week to relax and just spend time together uh, with my family, I remember saying to myself, oh, so this is why people like vacations so much. I literally had that conversation in my mind. It seems crazy now for me to think about it that way, but I remember at the time being like, this is why people like vacation. I watched as my mind was just 
resting. And, and, uh, and as I was rested up, I was, I was able to take kind of a better assessment of all the different things that I was involved in, all of my commitments, all of the demands on my time. And so when we got back home, a little over a week later, I decided, all right, I need to go through these things and make some decisions. So I dropped certain things and I started, uh, you know, I decided to keep some of the others, but I basically started to see the priorities that the Lord wanted me to focus on more clearly. And most of those things are things that I would say that, you know, over the long term now, because that's been a number of years, are things that we kind of made part of the culture of our household, where we learned through that experience, all right, these are things that we need to value and we need to operate a certain way so we don't go in the direction that we were going in at that point. And when you look at Romans 13, particularly the second half of the chapter here, starting with verse 8, I think that this is a portion of Scripture that can be helpful to us in that same respect as we're trying to assess priorities. And I think we're invited, when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, I always try and think, all right, you know, what's the application in regard to this? What does the Lord want me to do with this Scripture that I'm reading? And one of the things that I think we could do is we could ask ourselves the question, is it time for me to start restructuring my life's priorities? Is it time for me to start making an assessment and start thinking through things in a different way and restructure some of these things? And when you look at this portion of Scripture, it gives us at least four things that I think that we could focus on and say, all right, that's a priority that's worth emphasizing. And one of the things that it, that it seems to be telling us here ought to be a priority of our lives as we follow Christ is that when it comes to owing things, we should owe nothing but love. So when we're thinking about this through the, the lens of priorities, right? It's saying, owe nothing but love. All right, so a priority for my life, a priority for your life should be that we owe nothing but love. Look at verse 8 again. Let me reread it because that's where Paul st uh, states this. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Let me reread that verse again. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, I'm grateful for the emphasis that we can see in Scripture related to the concept of love. And when you go throughout the Scriptures, you can see that that's a repeated emphasis all over the Scriptures. By nature, God is the perfection of love. And He shows us His love in countless ways, but there's no greater example of love that we can point to than the love that He's shown us in the fact that He, God the Father, gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And since we are the beneficiaries of the deepest kind of love that could possibly be demonstrated, we're called to be lavish in sharing that kind of love with one another. And so when you look here in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, you have the Apostle Paul, as he's phrasing all of this, he frames this in an interesting way. And he speaks of the concept of debt when he makes that first statement, or the first part of the statement in verse 8, where he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. So again, it's, you know, it's clear that his emphasis here is on showing love generously, but I appreciate the way he frames that concept in this passage, because what he's doing is he's appealing to the familiar life experience that I think most of us, if not all of us, can identify with, the experience of owing debt. The experience of owing debt. That's what he's talking about as he, as he stresses this truth. And he's saying, owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, um, I don't know what your perspective on debt happens to be, uh, but my perspective has changed 
over the course of my life. I used to think of debt one way, now I think of it quite differently. I used to be quite comfortable with debt, by the way, uh, and I had plenty of it. And I remember at one point trying to figure out exactly how much I had because I wasn't exactly certain. And I was starting to do the math, and I was like, all right, well, you know, I've, I've got a mortgage, and I've got student debt, and I've got automobile debt, and I've got credit card debt. And I remember when I did all the math, and I looked at the number, and I thought, okay, that can't be right. That number can't be right. But it was right. And I thought, oh, that is not a good number. That's a number in the negative. That needs to be on the positive, right? Not, not on the negative. I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction. So in time, I realized that having those debts, it was actually having a negative impact on my quality of life. And so I thought, all right, I don't want to have these anymore. So one at a time, and it took years to do, but one at a time, I started getting rid of those. And now the final debt we have, the only debt we have at this point, is we're on the tail end of our mortgage. Within maybe two or three years, we hope to have that thing paid off. We're on the tail end of it. And then hopefully that'll be it. I don't know, you know, I can't predict the future, but I could tell you that it's my intention never to take on any other debt of any kind. That's my intention. I hope that I make it to the finish line without ever taking on another loan or another debt. But I think that's interesting to say in one respect and then compare it to what it's stating here in Romans chapter 8, because I imagine the Apostle Paul, at least initially when it comes to the idea of owning or owing consumer debt, I think he would applaud, yeah, don't owe debts like that, right? Because he's saying here, owe no one anything, and then he gives an exception. So he's saying, owe no one anything. All right, so he'd applaud, all right, no consumer debt, great job. But he would remind me and he would remind you that as followers of Christ, there is one obligation that's going to remain in your life and in my life, even after our financial obligations are all met. So even after I've, I've got my mortgage balance, hopefully someday down to zero, I'm still going to be obligated to show love to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what he's saying here, you know, that's Christ's calling on my life, that's Christ's calling on your life, not to fail to hold back, or, or, you know, not to fail uh, showing love to one another, not to hold it back, but to show it generously. As recipients of the generous love that we've been given, we're instructed to be lavish in showing that love to one another. And what he says here, he kind of bridges this to our next idea, but he basically says here that in so doing, we will fulfill the essence of the Ten Commandments and, uh, and, and what they're teaching us to do in regard to our friends and our neighbors and our family and our co-workers. Look at what he says when we jump down to verse 9 and 10. He tells us, as he's segueing from priority to priority, he's teaching us to understand the heart of what God has commanded. In verse 9, he says this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any, any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this, uh, but you're welcome to volunteer to do it if you'd like, but I'm not going to ask you to do this. Um, but if I were to ask you to recite the Ten Commandments in order, do you think you could do it? Some of you are scratching your chin, you're wondering, you're like, could I do it in order? When I was a child, uh, the church that I grew up in, 
actually made us memorize that. So there was a, a, they had a program where you could become a junior member of the church. But to become a junior member of the church at age 10, you had to have certain things memorized, one of which was the Ten Commandments, and your Sunday school teachers quizzed you then on your knowledge of the Ten Commandments. So I remember at that season of my life, that's when I memorized the Ten Commandments. Now, I have four children. Uh, they're all, you know, getting older, but I, I, uh, I set something up in our home because it, it dawned on me at one point. I thought, you know what, that's something that I really want to emphasize here in our house, too. I want to make sure that, that the Ten Commandments are something that are just kind of, you know, part of the culture of our minds and the culture of our hearts. And so I set something up, and I actually have a piece of paper here with it on it. My children, like all children, enjoy using the internet. They enjoy using Wi-Fi. And I, ha- I have limits on how much we allow everybody to use that in our house. And so I said, all right, I will give you an unlimited Wi-Fi extension any day you want, as many days in a row as you want, each time you fill out one of these. And it's uh, a copy of the Ten Commandments. So they have to write the Ten Commandments down and then give a brief one-sentence explanation of what it means. And then if they sign it and date it and then turn it in, they get unlimited Wi-Fi for the rest of the day. So I I take off the limits on their account and they're allowed to use it unlimitedly. And uh, to me, I thought that that was like a great idea. I thought, oh wow, this is a great idea. And I thought it was a reward. And then I discovered that my my children sometimes thought of it as more of a punishment. Or they're like, oh man, he's going to make us write all that out so that we could have extra Wi-Fi. But I felt good about it. You know, I thought, this is something that's valuable for us to know. And this is something valuable for us to emphasize. And here you have the Apostle Paul talking about this idea of understanding the heart of the commandments. Now, let me bring up the first group of commandments on the screen behind me. In the first group of commandments, you see this. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And I bring those four up real quick just to show you something. These, the initial group of commandments, the first four, those commandments focus on our relationship with God. And that's what's emphasized in those four commandments. Then you look at the next commandments, Numbers 5 through 10, and they say, Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. So the second group of commandments, you know, number 5 down to 10, focuses on our relationships with one another. So you have commandments focusing on our relationship with God, and then commandments focusing on our relationships with one another. But even if you can't remember the Ten Commandments in order, even if that's something that you get jumbled in your mind, or, or for whatever reason it just doesn't stick in the way that you'd like it to, I'm certain that we can remember a summary of them that's in line with what's spoken of here in Romans chapter 13. Because basically, when you look at the commandments, when you look at the first four, and then you look at the next six, the first four are telling us, love God. And then the second group are telling us, love one another. So if you remember, love God and love one another... What the Apostle Paul's saying here is that you that's the essence of the commandments. That's what the Scripture has told us. That's what Paul's explaining here. He's saying, you know, if we love others with the love that we've been shown through Jesus Christ, we're not going to disrespect them, we're not going to hurt them, we're not going to steal from them, we're not going to lie to them, we're not going to kill them. 
We love our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our co-workers, even those who may act like our enemies. If we love them with the love of Christ, we are effectively fulfilling the teaching of God's law regarding human relationships. In fact, Jesus stressed the same exact thing in Matthew chapter 22. Look at what he said in Matthew 22, verse 36, and afterward he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, during that era, they didn't refer to the Old Testament as the Old Testament. The New Testament was just about to be written. But when they were referring to the Old Testament, they would refer to it as the Law and the Prophets, or sometimes they'd refer to it as the Law and the Writings and the Prophets, or the Law and the Poetry and the Prophets. But what Jesus is saying here, you could summarize the the entire Old Testament, you could summarize uh, the revealed Word of God up to that point by saying, love God and love one another. And that's what Paul's also stressing here in Romans chapter 13, when he's, when he's trying to help us to prioritize what matters in life, and he's teaching us to understand the heart of what God has commanded, to love God, to love one another. A third priority that I think comes up when we take a look at this portion of Scripture is this. Now, allow me some artistic license as I say this, but I think it's telling us to turn off the TV and open the shades. Turn off the TV and open the shades. I'm not certain that the New Testament speaks about television. Why are we saying that this morning? Well, look at what it says in verse 11. It says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So the other day I was talking to somebody who was very unhappy that his TV remote was missing. (laughs) He was extremely unhappy. Apparently a member of his family who was visiting misplaced the remote and then left Never told him where the remote was going to be. And the loss of that remote seemed to have a complete negative impact on the quality of his day. He's like, I'm, I'm done. He's like, this is my thing. This is my thing, watching this TV. And now I don't have it today. I can't watch. And I'm thinking, well, aren't there buttons still on the side? Like, you know, somewhere? Like, there's got to be a way that you can change the, the, the channel on that TV, right? Uh, a few days earlier... I was talking to another friend. This is somebody that I had grown up with, and and she was telling me about one of our common friends who was going through a season of life where by choice, this is by choice, he was spending most of his time either sleeping or watching TV. By choice. There's nothing forcing him to do this. But by choice, he's spending most of his time sleeping or watching TV. So what do you think about that? Like when you think, you know, just about how you want to use your time. Or how the Lord's called you to use your time. You know, what do you think about those decisions? Is that how the Lord wants us to live? Is that how the Lord wants us to spend our time? When the Apostle Paul was conducting his apostolic ministry, I I get the impression when I look at what Scripture says, that he was doing so with a sense of urgency. So when you read through the things that he penned, like Romans 13 here and other portions of Scripture, you can see that, that... He wanted to make use of the best time that he had been given. And when you read through the book of Acts, you can see all the things that he was committed to doing and all the things that he was involved in and how he would intentionally travel from place to place until that time was up. And then he's like, all right, it's time to move on as the Lord's giving me the unction to move on. You can see he wanted to make the best use of his time. And he was doing what he was doing with a sense 
of urgency. He wanted to make the best use of the time that he'd been given. And as we could see in Romans 13, 11, he also wanted us to make the best use of the time we had been given. So I think of the Apostle Paul as one of the church's primary coaches. He's very transparent in how he was writing. And he's very transparent in in his self-assessment and in the challenges that he would give to the church. And he's coaching us to make the best use of our time as well. And so in this verse, you have the Apostle Paul addressing something. When he talks about this, he, he, he says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. That's how he phrases it here. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And what he's stressing here is this idea of spiritual laziness or spiritual complacency that he was noticing among some of the believers living during that era. Keep in mind, he's addressing this to the church at Rome, so there must have been something about some of the people in that context that triggered this thought in his mind, or as the Holy Spirit's giving him the words to write down, address these words to this group of people. Let the church read this. Don't be spiritually lazy. Don't be spiritually complacent. And spiritual complacency, by the way, is tra- it's a tragedy when you think about its impact on our day-to-day life, particularly for believers who ought to know better. What Paul's challenging us to wrestle with is the fact that, look, we don't have much time. So the time that you have, don't waste it. Now is the time for you to wake up from your slumber. Now is the time for you to wake up from your sleep because the effects of our salvation are going to be experienced, the full effects of it, are going to be experienced sooner than we often realized. Scripture tells us that in Christ we have been justified. That means the moment you trusted in Christ, you were declared righteous in the eyes of God through Christ. Scripture goes on to tell us that right now we're going through a process of sanctification. As the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and producing holiness in our lives as we grow in our walk with Christ. And next up on that list, Scripture tells us that the Father is going to glorify us and will finally experience the ultimate outcome, the eternal outcome of what He's, what he's been doing for us. So one day we'll, we'll experience the full effects of our salvation. And in the meantime, since our salvation, as Paul's describing it here, since the full effects of our salvation are closer to us now than they were when we first believed, he's effectively saying, I imagine if he, if he was here in our era speaking to us, he'd say, listen, Turn off your TV and throw open the shades. Stop sleeping. Stop sitting around. Recognize that the time is short. I love what we're told in Psalm 90, verse 12. You're probably familiar with this portion of Scripture, but there it says this, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. It's the idea that that time is short. It goes by quickly. We have a little bit of time, and then before we know it, it's done. And so the challenge that we're, we're being called to apply to our lives as we look at a portion of Scripture like this is, is kind of along these lines. If we've been complacent in our walk with Christ, it's time to turn off the TV. It's time to throw open the shades. Don't waste the time you've been given. Use it to make investments in your walk with Christ. And then as your faith is overflowing, make that same investment in the spiritual lives of others. But don't be one of those Christians who, whom the, the God has invested in so thoroughly that just sits around on your hands and stares. I'm going to show you a picture. I'm curious if anyone knows who this is. Anyone know who that man is? 
Just nod your head. You don't have to call out or anything. Anyone know? It doesn't seem like a whole lot of people know. Um, that man, that's Warren Wearsby. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, Warren Wearsby. So some of you recognize his name but weren't familiar with uh, what he looks like. But I wouldn't be surprised if you've read some of the things that he, that he wrote. Wearsby passed away the other day. I think he passed away on Thursday. He was 89 years old. And for decades I've been reading his books. He has very helpful things that he's written related to just Bible commentaries and, and things of that nature. Things related to um, helping, just like leadership helps if you're involved in Christian leadership and all sorts of things. And, and I, I looked uh, to see how many things he, he uh, wrote during the course of his life. And just counting the books that he wrote, he wrote 150. That's just the books. He also wrote for magazines and other publications and shorter things. But the books... He wrote 150 books. That's pretty ambitious. For 30 years, he was full-time in pastoral ministry. He also had a radio show at one point where he was teaching through the Scriptures. And you would look at that, and, and I look at a guy like that, and I'm thinking, how does he have time for all of that? How, would he have time, how do you have time to write 150 books? How do you have time to be full-time in pastoral ministry for 30 years? How do you have time to do all the things that you're doing, plus the radio shows, plus everything else? He'd probably give a variety of reasons, including the fact that a lot of people surrounded him that helped him. But you know what his reputation was among those that knew him? He always had time for them. And he developed a nickname over time. People started calling him the pastor's pastor. Because a lot of pastors would go to him for counsel and wisdom. So he was their pastor. And even in his writings, and I feel this way too, when I read some of the stuff that he's written, I think, it's like, thanks, Mr. Wearsby, for, for pastoring me today, for, for being part of the Lord's effort to shepherd me. But people said, no matter what he was doing, when you, if you walked into his office, he'd put his stuff down, and he'd sit there, and he'd talk with you, and he would meet with you. And I thought, that's a good example because there's plenty of times in your life and in my life where we don't always feel like we have the time to do that. But I look at that, so his race concluded at age 89 just the other day. But I look at that and I think, okay, that's a guy that did not spend uh, decades of his life staring at a TV. That's a guy that did not spend decades of his life sitting on his hands. That's a guy that didn't spend decades of his life just sleeping and following it up with more sleeping and just wasting his time. He used his time to make investments in his own walk with Christ, and then out of that overflow, he used it to be a blessing to others. He wasn't wasting the time he had been given. And there's one other priority that this portion of Scripture brings out that I think is worth noting, and that's this. Live in the light of Christ. And I want us to be thinking about this, particularly as we're about to partake of communion together. But in Romans 13, verse 12, down to verse 14, it says this, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So again, the final priority we have Paul emphasizing here is this concept of prioritizing living in the light of Christ instead of living in the darkness of sin or the darkness of of temptation. And keep in mind that as he's penning these things down, he's expressing this teaching to fellow believers. 
Right? He's expressing this to fellow believers, to his brothers and sisters in Christ. So let that sink in for just a second. Paul's making it clear that those who have, blend, those who have been blessed with a new life in Jesus Christ can also still be led in the wrong direction. They could be led astray very easily and lured into the temptation of darkness if they are not intentional about wearing what he describes here as the armor of the light of Christ. The armor of the light of Christ. And look at some of the examples Paul gives us here about the works of darkness that sometimes we can find ourselves enmeshed with. He speaks of sexual sin. He speaks of drunkenness. He speaks of quarreling. And he speaks of jealousy. Now think of those four things here that he stresses. right? Sexual sin, drunkenness, quarreling, and jealousy. Are there any of us in this room who think that we are above being tempted in one or several or all of those areas? Aren't these things that are common to humanity? This is common, right? These are areas where we're directly tempted to sin against the Lord. So you have the Apostle Paul stressing these things here. And he's admonishing us to put on or to clothe ourselves with the presence of Christ so that we won't make plans and provisions for the flesh that encourage us to rebel against Christ. Now, all of us have struggles. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us has struggles. Every single one of us, when we look at the course of our life, when we look at our day-to-day, we recognize that there are plenty of times that we have made mistakes and we've gone in a direction that we know in retrospect, and probably we even knew at the time, that we shouldn't have gone in. But at the same time, the things of this world, it's like a, you know, a fishing lure. It's just like tempting us. And then we get hooked on different things in this world that really are not about the life that Christ invites us to live. And when we look at this passage, it can be very easy for us to make an additional mistake, in addition to the mistakes that we've made thus far, by assuming that the Lord is unaware of our struggles. So you and I have struggles, but the Lord, is not, oh, the Lord is not unaware of the things that we're struggling with. And He recognizes that in a fallen world that you and I live in, that it can be very difficult to consistently live in the light of Christ. I'm certain that that's something that you struggle with. And I can tell you that's definitely something that I struggle with as well. I think we as believers daily are either making a decision to walk in the light of Christ or walk according to the dictates of our flesh. But when you look at this portion of Scripture that's challenging us to live in the light of Christ, keep in mind that the Lord's not asking you or me to live in the light of Christ under our own power, under our own wisdom, or under our own strength. That's not something He's asking you to do. He's not saying, do this on your own. He's saying, do this with the help that I supply. Do this with the strength that I supply. We can't ultimately do it without His help. So He's clothed us, or He's asked us, you know, clothe ourselves not in our own armor, but in His armor. And Christ offers us His armor, and I'm confident that the protective power of Christ within us and around us is sufficient for what we need. So when you think about the things that Paul brings up here in the second half of Romans 13, think about it from a personal perspective. Ask yourself the question, what have been my priorities up to this point in life? And are these the priorities that you believe that Christ is still, you know, is is, is Christ asking you to emphasize those things? Or is He asking you to emphasize something new? 
See, asking you to begin emphasizing the kind of priorities that are outlined in a portion of Scripture like this that teaches us to love with the love of Christ, that teaches us to understand the heart behind the commandments, that teaches us to wake up from our spiritual slumber, not to be complacent, not to be spiritually lazy, but to be spiritually active people, motivated in our walk with Christ, motivated to live in the light of Christ as He empowers us to do so, to make these the kind of priorities that are governing our thinking and our living and our, inter- and our interactions with one another. Before we partake of communion together, I want to share a portion of Scripture uh, just to, to finish us up. And uh, I, I probably have referenced this here before, but I'll reference this again. When I was, um, I think I was about 11 years old, our pastor at the time, his name was Hubert Kidd. And uh, Pastor Kidd uh, was retiring. And I was pretty sad about that because I really loved him. I I thought a lot of him. And uh, in my life, at at that time, I remember thinking, all right, this this is a guy that to me was an example of what it looked like to follow Christ. And I was trying to think... You know, what do you, what do you do? Like, I know I'm not really going to see him again. I didn't think I was going to see him again. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I'd like there to be something that I could remember him by. And so after church, I walked up to him where he was greeting people in the back of the church, and I opened up the front cover of my Bible. And it was a Bible the church had given me a year earlier when I'd memorized the Ten Commandments and some other things. They gave me that. still have it right here in my office. I even put Bible tabs in it so I could find books of the Bible because they weren't straight in my head. Uh, but it's right there. And I asked him, I said, Pastor Kid, would you sign this for me? And he's like, you want me to sign your Bible? <laughs> he's like, you know, I didn't write that, right? I didn't, I, I've preached from it for a bunch of decades. I didn't write that. I was like, yeah, I, but would you sign it though? And he's like, all right, sure. And so in the front cover of my Bible, he signed it. And he signed his name and then he thought for a second and then he put a Bible verse. And the idea was, I want you to read this and I want you to follow this. Basically, this was his parting advice to me. And this is the verse that he put in the front cover of my Bible. Matthew 6.33, and it says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What was he trying to advise me to do? John, here's your priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the righteousness of Christ. Seek that first. And then everything else that matters comes into line. That's what he was getting at. And it's stuck in my head. And it's stuck in my heart. I'm glad I asked him to sign my Bible and to do that. But when we look at a portion of Scripture like we're looking at today, is it not challenging us to do the same exact thing? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together and to meditate on its content and to think about the things that You've proclaimed here to us. And Lord, we recognize that that we wrestle with all sorts of things. We recognize that, that we are people that struggle in all kinds of areas and There are all sorts of things that are vying for our attention and vying to be the priorities in our lives. And then we look at your word and your word tells us to make it a priority to love one another. And your word teaches us 
to understand the heart of what You've commanded. Your Word teaches us to make good use of our time. Your Word teaches us to live in Your light. You've called us to seek first Your kingdom. To seek first Your righteousness. Lord, You know what we've been seeking first up to this point. And we'll seek whatever we think is ultimately going to satisfy the longing of our our hearts and our souls. But Lord, we pray that by Your grace that we would recognize that ultimately the satisfaction that our hearts seek, the satisfaction that our souls seek, we're not going to find that satisfaction in anyone else other than Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we're grateful for the fact that You've revealed that to us in Your Word. So Lord, we pray that we would seek first, ultimately, that we would seek first You. That You would be our top priority. And that we would recognize that that this is something that You're not asking us to do in our own wisdom and in our own strength. This is something that You're empowering us to do just as much as You're asking us to do it or commissioning us to do it. So we thank You, Lord, for the power that You supply. We thank You, Lord, for Your love. And we thank You for Your goodness that You show us in so many ways. And we pray that by Your grace that we would make You our top priority in all matters and in all areas. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by DesireJesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to sign up for it right there from the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.